Charlotte Blank is the Chief Marketing Officer for Jaguar Land Rover North America, previously the Director of Transformation and Analytics at JLR. She established a center for excellence overseeing vital areas such as CRM, market research, and data analytics, driving the JLR reimagined journey in North America. Before joining JLR, Charlotte held the unique position of Chief Behavioral Officer at Merits, spearheading reward and incentive programs for automotive manufacturers. With a decade of experience in media and, uh, and automotive, she contributed to various marketing roles at General Motors and led new product innovation at Turner Broadcasting. Recognized for her influence, Incentive Magazine named Charlotte a visionary and one of the 25 most influential people in the incentive industry in 2016. Additionally, the St. Louis Business Journal acknowledged her as one of the most influential business women in St. Louis in 2018. Passionate about field research, her TEDx talk, Lead Like a Scientist, advocates for embracing experimentation to improve workforce incentives and motivation. Charlotte has a Bachelor of Science degree in Neuroscience and Behavioral Biology from Emory University and an MBA from Harvard Business School. Thank you for uh, sitting through that and hearing all your accomplishments. I know it's, uh, it's not easy, but uh, I appreciate you and your time and welcome, Charlotte. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. We are very, very excited. Uh, so you are speaking to us from Sleepy Hollow. This is from a previous our previous chatter here. Uh, that's where you grew up. That's right. I've come full circle back to my hometown of Sleepy Hollow, New York. We are the home of the Headless Horseman. My ah. three very excited about that Halloween. Yes, very you know. famous. Did you see a Johnny Depp? Uh, of course. Oh, okay. Of course. Yeah, I saw so... an advanced screening of that. Yeah, that must have. Yeah, that that was something. That's especially. Uh, touched you, I'm sure, yeah. with all the history you've had there. Um, okay, so uh, it before moving forward, any marketers in the family? Has, is is marketing something that has, uh, yeah. you know, down the lineage or there it, it, there are? Yes, my dad was in advertising sales for his whole career for Time Inc., mostly Fortune magazine. Um, so he was an ad salesman and very much took me along for the journey. He was really just hindsight such a good dad in that way and inspiring me to pursue a career that I might be passionate about. But, you know, by way of his own, he took me to, you know, I remember going to like Tavern on the Green and some other sort of glamorous wow. ad parties and sipping Shirley Temples with these very cool and glamorous automotive marketers that he was, um, you know, uh, selling advertising to. So I think I built an association at a very early age that there was something very um, exotic and glamorous about automotive advertising. And here we are today. I love that. I love that. I would have been uh, asking myself, like, is this an actual, you get paid for this? That's incredible. <laughs> um, okay, so let's, let's do a refresher. Um, love to start out with what is JLR course customers and what problem you know what problem are you solving i know uh, many people have heard of the brand but let's just start with the with the basics here sure yeah jlr is a global automotive manufacturer um simply put we're a house of luxury automotive brands our purpose or the you know if it's a problem we're solving but <laughs> the value we provide to the world is 
simply to create the the most desirable vehicles for the world's most discerning customers. You know, and that sounds straightforward, but it's very complex and very ambitious and involves a lot of transformation that we're actively going through. Who are my initial reaction when when I hear of JLR is in terms of customers, it's B to C is is my my initial reaction, but are is it B2B as well? Are you selling to other businesses? And what does that dynamic look like if, if so? That's a, a really good question, actually, that gets at the heart of what makes the automotive industry so unique and challenging is that we create brands and market directly to consumers. And my role as a CMO is to build sustainable demand and desire for these luxury brands among consumers. But ultimately, we sell to a network of independent retailers. So mm. our, our dealerships, which we call our, our retailer partners are every bit as important a stakeholder to us. And it is B2B like in that sense that we go to market through the retailers and we partner with them to create a luxury go-to-market experience for the end consumer. So there and, is an element of B2B to it as well. And that go-to-market strictly through those dealerships. There is no uh, direct line. Uh, okay. That's a very topical question now for the industry as as they're, they're, you know, Tesla has rocked the boat and right. some kind of created a pathway for some other electric first digital native upstarts like uh, Rivian, Lucid, and some of the others who've kind of followed in Tesla's wake. Mm -hmm. They've found ways to sell directly to consumers in many states, um, which so far traditional automakers um, have been unable to do due to legacy franchise laws, which continue to maintain that we sell through retailers only and not directly to consumers. So that creates a lot of challenges for us in terms of competing and transforming um, you know, into the future. And it's it's very topical. How do we work with our retailers to together create an experience mm. that feels like you're buying direct but but you're not <laughs> got you so you have a bachelor of science degree in neuroscience and behavioral biology which i think it's fascinating how, how, how do you use science and neuroscience uh or psychology to do you put them to use when you're anticipating customer needs is i'm guessing this is very valuable Absolutely. I, you know, I've always thought of myself as a marketer by way of psychology. I've always been passionate about psychology and, and curious about what makes people tick, especially in a marketplace context, you know, what makes someone choose the brand that they choose or make a decision to buy today rather than later. It's, it's very much, I think, one of the most direct applications of applied psychology that I can think of in, you know, an industry context. So I've always been really passionate about that side of the business, and I do bring it to to work and to life every day, whether it be an upper funnel challenge as we're crystallizing our house of brand strategy and really differentiating each of our brands. You know, what makes someone a Range Rover target client versus a Defender target it's not just about price point, you know, th these are very much both luxury brands. So it's about the culture and the personality and the identity and the associations we create with each of those brands. Mm. So there's a lot of interesting psychology that, that occurs at the upper funnel, but especially, you know, in today's performance marketing oriented landscape and the data we have available to us, there's just a lot of interesting data and behavioral science that we can apply at the bottom of the funnel, when we look at like website optimization and A/B testing, 
Um, so I consider that approach, you know, to be leading like a scientist, always running experiments and testing and learning and letting the data guide our decisions. I love that. What is your approach? Talking about that market research, how do you go about approaching that? Where both for customer and even for, you know, competitors? Gosh, we there's a lot of kind of angles to that. I mean, we think about we have to, to make decisions based on um, behavioral information we have. So what are people doing online and how, what resonates with them? So, you know, experimentation whenever possible is always my preferred approach. So we run A-B tests on our websites constantly, mm. you know, hold, running, uh, holding out control groups when we run, say, CR a CRM email to observe what drives a higher open or engagement rate. So just that approach to um, what what drives engagement and behavior. Um, but we also have uh, market research available to us from a psychographic standpoint. What are what drives our consumers? What else are they interested in? Um, you know, I just spoke with a market research company the other day who ran a quick study for us and found some really interesting nuggets of insight that um, of these associations that I had kind of hypothesized for our defender target audience that really mm. seemed to bear out in terms of their behavior online, where we saw that people who are likely to identify as a defender considerer are also very much drawn to online activity about fitness and nutrition and specialized diets and really mm. optimal health. So taking an approach that's rather scientific and rigorous to being the, the best that they can be from a health and nutrition standpoint is um, something that we have kind of sensed really aligns with the defender audience and that um, is showing to bear out in in um, online behavior that we can observe so i mean that's just one example um has, uh, has has there been a particular channel within that market research that is your go-to that you really place a lot more emphasis in, in in terms of the results that it provides or it's kind of been you know sprinkled here and there across a number of different channels you know, it really depends on the challenge we have at hand. So that example I just gave was one with a a, a company called Civic Science that mm -hmm. we were looking at to help us um, sort of differentiate the personas and target audiences. But another challenge we might have could be all the way at the other end of the funnel in terms of website optimization. And if we have, if we're observing through the data that there's um, a higher than normal bounce rate at a particular point in the journey, then we have a tool we like called Decibel that enables mm -hmm. us to literally observe on an individual, um, like on the basis of an individual site visitor, we can actually see their mouse clicking around the screen and observe when they're rage clicking or scribbling their mouse back and forth in frustration. And it, we can we can observe points of pain that we can address from a web design standpoint. So I think there's there's so many tools in our toolkit, and it depends on the on the challenge of the day. You were uh, previously to to this role as as we covered before. You're director of transformation analytics at JLR in North America. Um, what what would you say were some of the biggest challenges or learnings from that particular role? And has that role what you learned from there? Are there things that you're totally applying to mm -hmm. where you are now? Absolutely. I'd say um, the director of transformation role is is really, it's an important one. It's really at the forefront of, well, the transformation um, that's underway at the company. 
um, specifically in just in terms of how we go to market and create a an experience for our clients that really befits a modern luxury purchase experience. Given some of the constraints we talked about upfront about you know partnering with our retailers and selling through a distributed network of of wholesalers, that means that we need to think about the technology we have available to us, but it's every bit as much about the build of the technology as it is about the buy-in of our stakeholders. So I think that was that role is a really unique one in that it requires both um, some technical savvy and political savvy and sort mm. of this of, of um, working with our retailers to create a really great purchase experience for our clients. So that's those are skills that you know we continue to to utilize as we enhance the um, purchase experience today. And uh, before that, you were a chief behavioral officer at Merits. Um, has that also influenced being, being the chief behavioral officer? Has that influenced the your marketing leadership now and the decisions that you're you're making within JLR? Yes, my role as chief behavioral officer was really to evangelize scientific leadership and to try to inspire a movement of people. As, leading like scientists. So what borrowing from a scientific toolkit and the method of isolating the behavior you're trying to change and pulling from principles of behavioral economics and social psychology, and most important of all, running experiments. So not just trying something and seeing what happens pre-post, but actually holding out a true randomized control group so that you can isolate and observe the effect of the intervention you're testing. Um, easier said than done and utilized much more in marketing, I'd say, than in other areas of businesses, but um, definitely a practice that, you know, I've brought to uh, this role in marketing and and continue to evangelize in everything we do. It really comes, it's more, a, a, a colleague I worked with at Merits used to say, behavioral science is a verb, not a noun. Mm. And I think that it's, it's much more about the approach to problem solving and the commitment to testing and learning through data than it is about, you know, any particular discipline. When you are testing and learning through that data, how, how do you, how do you analyze, how do you measure that engagement? What, what has been most successful for you? Uh, because you're also dealing with, you, you described that you, your go-to-market is through dealerships, right? So now there's there's a whole set of data that I'm sure that they're receiving that I don't know how well that transfers back or gets back to you. You know, how, how do you figure out what does work for that target audience or that customer and, you know, where where are the highest engagement points? Yeah, this is really the crux of a lot of our work and, and um, kind of the holy grail for us is to, to perfectly isolate the customer journey from initial impression to purchase and to be able to track them along the pathway and identify those barriers and where blockers could be getting in the way and then running A-B tests to optimize along the path. That's sort of the high level approach we take to any problem, but it's hard to think of a more complex user journey than an automotive purchase decision because there's <laughs> yeah. a competitive landscape in the U.S. in particular, it's a very busy media landscape. Um, it's a very expensive, very uh, long consideration process. I mean, we have reams of research and data that indicate 
anywhere from a three to six month purchase process once someone has actively decided they're in market. But as a marketer, I'm much more interested about the even longer term of how do you get on someone's initial consideration set in the first place? Um, if you're not, you know, one of the first two to three brands that come to mind once someone decides they're in market, you have a much harder hill to climb to make it on their um, final purchase list at the end. So, you know, that's where these upper funnel, longer term brand building efforts come into play, like the work, um, you know, one thing that comes to mind is Defender being featured prominently in the James Bond movie a few years ago. Or mm, right, right, right. I remember that. Like really good breakthrough TV spots or cinematic placements, those sort of upper funnel initiatives that are not meant to um, drive a purchase the next day, but they're meant to sort of inspire people to just think that's a cool brand and to have it kind of come to mind when they are in uh in market sometime later so that's all to say that it's this isn't selling chewing gum you know not to, <laughs> yeah not it's to complex and to your point i mean it uh it's whenever someone is thinking of making a purchase like that it's it's a it's it's a lot it's a lot of of capital that they're making a it's a big purchase right not uh what you said not not selling candy what what type of incentives uh do you think perform best for you when it comes to customer relationship and and, and management? Um, you know, ideally as a luxury brand, you should not have to rely on incentives. I mean, that's, that's kind of a, a kryptonite of the automotive industry that mm. I think ones have been trying to get away from once you start discounting and running incentives, it's very difficult to back off of that strategy and it becomes a race to the bottom against our competitors. So I am quite proud of, the, of all of the JLR brands for kind of holding out and apart from that. So we, we try to stay away from incentives, but we do keep an eye on the market and try to be intelligent about our pricing so that, you know, ideally you've priced your products up in an optimal way to cap capture the demand and um, keep things flowing and not have to rely on discounting and incentives. You, you had a, um, you had a speech and it was entitled, don't be creepy. Uh, at the Habit <laughs> Summit, <laughs> which I love that title, uh, where you speak about custom messaging and product recommendations uh, in an era of big data. What what does this mean for privacy and how does that affect like customer experience? Yeah, that, uh, that talk and that paper on don't be creepy about how to optimize um, basically online advertising, that was with a partnership with academic researchers at Harvard Business School, Leslie John being the lead researcher. Um, they were studying privacy in an era of targeting and online advertising and how what makes people how to kind of strike the right balance of being delightful and offering something useful to people without overstepping and feeling creepy. And the hypothesis was based on social norms that we all sort of abide by in the day to day, these sort of rules of thumb like um, don't assume something about someone, you make an S of you and me or um, don't talk <laughs> to behind their back. Those mm -hmm. sort of things you learn from your mom are human social norms that have evolved to, you know, that we all sort of respect. And um, the question was whether those norms translate to the digital space. And um, we were able to test that in my previous role at Merits. There's um, a, a reward site called Reward Sphere where people redeem their points that they've earned through loyalty programs for um, items that they desire. And we were able to run A-B tests that that compared um, 
when you're showing someone a recommended item, um, mm-hmm. as opposed to just, just the control group was just the word recommended and the treatments were more explicitly indicating the reason why this thing is recommended. So it would say mm. something like recommended based on your clicks on our site or recommended based on what you've shared with us. Mm. So a little, you know, a little wordy, it makes you think, you know, um, is that really necessary? Gosh, you know, it's a lot. But actually in both of those conditions, there was significantly more engagement and redemption behavior when people were given those explicit sort of explanations that clarified that we were following those rules of thumb, those social norms that look, we're not just like assuming this about you based on your activity, or we're not talking about you behind your back, meaning like buying this data from another provider. We're like literally just offering this to you based on. So if you're being explicit about following those rules, people appreciated that. So that was just a really interesting piece of a, a much bigger research project that those researchers were working on that all speaks to this notion of respect and transparency. That's mm. important to uphold in an era where data enables us to, to just kind of make things happen for people and make things show up and make things follow them around the web, um, you know, which may may or may not increase purchase in- intent until the point where it becomes overwhelming and, 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 uh, and creepy, <laughs> you know, it's kind of <laughs> so all, yeah, all of that to say that what, you know, we need to, um, keep an eye and on, um, a, a, our ability to be transparent and where we can indicate to people through disclaimer or in even more explicit means that we respect their data and we're showing this to them with the intent of offering something helpful. What as as you are now? How how I I didn't put this on my notes, but how long has it been as a chief marketing officer? Uh, just since October, so coming up like maybe three quarters of a year. Three quarters of a year. Okay. Well, first off, again, congrats. Very exciting. Um, how in this new role, um, has there been already? common mistakes uh that you have seen marketers in 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 a, in a similar role make or that you've received uh you know lessons learned from the past anything that comes across where you say uh, it's you know I, I i've come across marketers that tend to do this and this and this and within our industry that just wouldn't work or that hasn't worked i think maybe i'd say you know, related to our conversation about um, the customer journey and making those, I guess what I would say is making the the assumption or the leap from initial impression to purchase of a vehicle or trying to link our investment in media and advertising and brand building to an immediate sales outcome. Mm. And there tends to be whenever measurement is a good thing. And we're always trying to enhance our approach to solving this sort of holy grail puzzle of what's what's the optimal thing to spend on to maximize our brand efforts and ultimately our sales in the long term. That's kind of the holy grail for marketers. And there's lots of tools and research partners and and approaches that we're taking and building onto it. But it, it's a it's a process and it's it's um something that takes you know, a lot of our, our hearts and brains, it's not straightforward to say, well, we spent X amount last month and we sold this amount this month. 
So mm-hmm. therefore, X leads to Y, right? It's right. much more complex than that. And so I think that would be a bias or a tendency that I, I want us to continue to challenge ourselves to strive against and to capture the nuance and to be really thoughtful about measurement and specifically to hold a place for those longer term efforts where if we're if we're just looking at um, success as an outcome of short term sales, um, that's going to backfire in the long run because we'll forget to build the demand that we need to convert. I love that. I think that uh, that's happens very very often and i'm curious what when you are not doing that right when when you catch yourself and you say well we can't really attach it towards the you know, sales uh, directly what type of markers do you use that lead the way right, right? Exactly. What- yeah so yeah so I, I picture almost like a, a rainbow or a spectrum of you know measurable outcomes that are all important, but and let's put them all up on the board. So kind of from the top of the funnel are brand health metrics like affinity, um, let brand first preference, meaning are they likely to put a Range Rover Defender, a Discovery or a Jaguar in their initial consideration set? Mm-hmm. Um, and then importantly, you know, in our modern luxury brand journey, it's willingness, willingness to pay more. Like, is this a brand that, you know, um, that commands a premium? Um, so there's there are upper funnel like metrics like that that we track, and then there are the lower funnel, which are sales, of course, leads, um, and those lower funnel web activity like configurations um, and other kind of website activity that indicates that people are very much in market and considering our product. But what I think is most interesting is trying to connect the dots in the middle and where mm. we're seeing a lot of promising, um, a lot of promise is in share of search. So there's a lot of research that indicates if you're capturing a large proportion of people searching for uh, for brands of our industry, that's a really strong indicator of future market share. And it's mm. a really, it's that nice blend of um, someone being, your brand being top of mind for a consumer and you're sort of in their headspace and they're actually actively engaging in a behavior that indicates purchase intent. So for someone to go to their computer and Google Defender is a, is a really strong signal. So that's one that we pay very close attention to. So here uh, with uh, our Techstars alumni group of venture-backed tech founders, um, many of which are founder, CEO, but there's all they also have their, their C-suite, their CMOs, their COOs. What steps or questions do you believe uh, when it comes to building a marketing growth strategy or a brand, what are things that you should keep in mind? What are some questions that you think are fundamental that uh, can lead you towards uh, a much better result? Um, you know, when, when you're, when you're starting out there. And I also have to share that for most CEOs that are founders, it, each one has their own strengths and 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 weakness, right? Uh, and uh, some don't come from the marketing background. Some don't come right from uh, uh, or from you know, for across of different backgrounds. Uh, but what if you don't come from that? What are things that you should keep in mind as you are introducing this product as you're trying to figure out product market, uh, you know, a product market fit? It's a big question. I mean, personally, <laughs> yeah. 
like an academic bent. So I'm, I always, I like to go to the data and to people who are studying the big questions on a meta level. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. like re recommend work or Ehrenberg Bass or some of these more like academically oriented um, market research entities to get some of the basic principles down. Um, how brands grow is kind of a, you know, marketers um, staple. Um, you know, I think some of the basics we've talked about, like balancing brand and demand is always a helpful framework in ensuring that you have resources and skills to address the upper funnel and building sustainable brands in the long term that are sufficiently differentiated and anchored on a principle or a purpose that transcends mm. the product of the moment or the, the deal of the day, but it's really much more about speaking to a psychological need of your consumers and to their identity. So really, you know, starting with that brand um, function of the business. And then also with the, the tools evolving today, uh, making sure that you're competitive in the demand generation and capture side of the house. So um, everything we've discussed from building measurable, trackable customer journeys, identifying those touch points along the way of the journey and being able to A-B test uh, ways to, to optimize that experience and maximize conversion. Um, that's also important to get right and to optimize at the margin and remain competitive on top of having a brand work. What do you consider as you're doing all this? Every every time I ask this question, I kind of I hesitate for a second because there are, are there's always so many challenges, right? Every day brings a ton of challenges. I'm curious. So what what are some of the biggest challenges that uh, whether you've experienced them or that you believe C CMOS, you know, are facing these days? Um, big challenges for marketing, I think, um, at risk of being repetitive, it's kind of balancing the brand and demand and those measurement questions, um, being thoughtful and nuanced in terms of measuring success um, to capture both brand metrics and sales metrics. Um, the transformation of businesses, many of us are going through digital transformation to ensure that we're creating seamless omni-channel experiences for consumers. Um so having kind of a handle on that, I'd say is, is pretty top of mind as well. And um, how do you go about, um, well, let's let's fast forward here. And in terms of technologies, AI is, right, it's everywhere. Everyone talks about it. Um, and I'm, I'm curious to get your take on uh, whether it's AI or are there other technologies that you have already come across that have forced you to not rethink, but think about how to introduce them into what you are currently doing and what your team is doing. Uh, do you see certain type of impact or change from this that you're keeping in mind from, from the way that you're communicating and marketing? Yeah. I mean, you said it, generative AI is, is the hot topic of the day. So we're definitely, you know, keeping an eye on that and actively researching how we might implement that in our business. I think it's still early days and important to be cautious, especially for a luxury brand. Um, but it's something we're watching closely. I also think AR VR is, it's something mm. that we're hopeful about for like 15 years, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it's coming, <laughs> but, you know, you can see that, 
eventually, and maybe it'll happen just like that tomorrow, it will be, it will provide uh, just a totally breakthrough way to connect with people and immerse them in more of the, like the tangible aspect of our brand or specifically our products from afar. So, you know, they may not have to come into a showroom or an event to physically sit in a vehicle because the headset VR experience is so realistic that we could program it with real-time information of what it feels like to drive the vehicle, for example, or, you know, from an AR standpoint, you know, I could imagine how that might uh, transform the configuration experience of, you know, I'm interested in the Range Rover and I want to click around the website and configure with different options and different colors. Well, imagine if you could do that in your driveway, you know, and change it around and see what it might look like in different, with different feature specs um, in a much more personalized setting. I think that's really compelling. I'm, I'm, I'm very uh, bull on that as well. And uh, when Apple you know, announce its its headset um, is is really really exciting. It's very interesting. I'm, I'm I'm curious to see actually having the chance to be able to try it on and and see what that experience looks like. But that makes a ton of sense in all the ways in which a whole set of new experiences can be felt by a by a consumer. Um, are there any particular campaigns uh, within your lines that you are? Uh, promoting pushing any new any new sort of uh announcement or anything that or or not new or something that's fairly new yeah fairly new and also just my personal favorite is the defender service awards so defender you've heard me mention a few times on the podcast i think it's the most exciting of our brands right now in terms of the the place we're in um, Defender has just launched only three years ago in the States and is rapidly growing. Um, I think it's it's um, one of the most compelling elements of the Defender brand is its naturally heroic, adventurous, sort of charismatic personality. Mm. It's extremely off-road capable, but not just for fun and play. Like that's kind of how it's differentiated to me from some of the other um, off-road oriented brands where mm. the messaging is very about like getting out there and getting muddy just for fun right there's something about defending more purpose oriented and really has been from the beginning when it was when it was relaunched a few years ago the first defenders off the lot went not to the dealer showrooms but directly to the red cross to help with emergency situations and be put to use for oh, good purpose. Wow. so bar uh, you know kind of extrapolating from that what we've created in the states is defender service awards which is a cause related platform which invites charities and cause organizations to submit video applications about telling the story of their organization which may fall into a few different categories like animal um animal welfare search and rescue um uh veteran affairs etc and so cause uh, causes that act or take action to to serve um areas of need they submit a video um, application for the chance to win a defender. And then we invite our consumers to vote on those applicants. And we've seen just incredible organic response to that campaign and expect it to be much bigger this year. So it's live now. We're actively asking for if you know of any worthy causes um, who may benefit from receiving a, a defender, 
um, that they submit a video application and, and have a chance to win. And we'll be awarding the winner with a new Defender 130, which is a three row, eight capacity um, SUV that we'll be um, presenting to the winners of each of those categories at Destination Defender which is another program I really like. It's a weekend festival celebrating everything about the outdoor adventurous spirit of Defender in a very modern luxury way. So think glamping, outdoor cuisine, um, all the fun of the outdoors. Where Where is that? I, I this mean, I, this, be, this sounds amazing. Yeah, this year in Somerville, Texas, uh, November 10 through 12. So sort of in between Austin and Dallas. Last year it was in Socrates, New York, up in the Hudson Valley. So we choose really picturesque sort of natural right. settings um, where people can can both kind of get the get the car dirty and have some fun, but also relax in a in a luxury setting. And the uh, Defender Service Awards, uh, this is this will be the second year already for the, the awards third, or the, the third the awards, uh, second year for the festival destination Defender. How um First off, uh, congrats. I think this is really, really cool. And the way you've attached it to that purpose, that mission. Uh, how did you go about um, launching something like this? Was this through, I mean, are there other partners with this? And was did this come from uh, in, in thinking in a marketing mindset? Is, is this something that has come from other uh, other types of um, awards that you've come across that have been, you know, very, very successful for 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 brands. Um, I'm thinking of um, not for a particular. Uh, what is it? It's the Hero Award. Remember, C. Uh, Sorry, no, it's okay. CNN's. Um, uh, when you said about individuals that are you uh, that are leading. Uh, causes really great causes it just made me think of the the awards i'm trying to think of the name of the show but from cnn that it's like hero awards and a lot of nonprofits. usually it it, it you find yourself uh giving awards on a lot of nonprofits. It, the individuals for for this for these service awards what what are these also mostly nonprofits? these end up being uh or other types of uh legally structured yeah. They're, they're mostly nonprofits. Um, they, your, your question about partners, that's actually a really important element of this too. Mm -hmm. We've involved our retailers as well as some of our key um, marketing partners, publishers, and most of all Chase, which is our financial services partner. So the, the whole mm. program is sponsored by Chase. And then each of the individual categories are sponsored by relevant partners we have. So for example, outside magazine, um, or Pelican sponsor, you know, various categories so that um, Animal Planet is sponsoring Animal Wildlife and Marine Welfare Award. So just by reaching out to the community and identifying these sort of sponsorship angles only mm -hmm. makes the program stronger because then each of these organizations contributes financially to enhance the award for the winners. So they'll receive um, $5,000, $25,000 each in addition to the vehicle has this been picked up by networks or what well you know, the, the actual awards themselves or what 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 does that look like and is that in, in in part of the plan as well that is uh we're actively planning how do we make it bigger this year so so historically the first two years it's as i said much more organic much more about earned media um 
but we think it has the potential to really stand on it as its own platform and should should live above the line somewhere. So we're having conversations like that. What do you see this? How do you consider uh, success? You know, what what's the metric for this? Uh, as 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 the, now this is the third year. How do you go about figuring out? Okay, uh, obviously broadening the more awareness but like what what is driving you to always kind of have a a clarity of of the direction you want to continue taking this yeah i mean there are uh tangible metrics like for example consumer voting last year with minimal organic um kind of word of mouth we had over 200,000 consumer votes so i expect that to increase dramatically as we promote the program more and scale it um, so consumer engagement, I think retailer engagement has been a really great part of the program because it, it lends itself so naturally to our retailers comparative advantage, which is they're, they're placed within the community and they know mm. um, so many organizations. So they have, you know, taken it, really taken the program on and have take, been very active in recommending organizations and even hosting launch parties to, or, um, to watch the awards or even to, even some of them have given away um, consolation prizes to runners up. They've given them like a year lease to a defender. So, um, really paying attention to retailer participation, but overall the big picture game for me as, um, as a marketer is to help this scale the brand and, and get us more, um, awareness and affinity amongst a community who aren't aware of us yet, you know, defender Mm -hmm. brand in the States, we're relatively unknown. Those who know us love us, but we know we have an opportunity to grow substantially. So we think by attaching this to a worthy cause and something that's very much in the spirit of the Defender brand um, and the purpose that we'll be reaching families, um, moms, more uh, more consumers who aren't currently engaged with us. What has been, and I, I just want to make sure that I do have this, whether it might've been in previous questions or not kind of tapping around it. Uh, what has been the most successful acquisition channel for you so far? Well, there's that Holy grail question again, <laughs> successful as, as defined by Im- immediately converting sales or successful as defined by um, growing the brand um let's go with the brand i mean this the awards is this something that you hope to continue investing in building it's giving you already enough metrics and insights that you you believe you know what this this can really you know this can really make a huge impact in in terms of brand awareness or are are there certain channels that you say the, the hardest thing is always trying to say go on this stop this right, <laughs> right? right it's like you know a little bit more of this a little bit less of this you're you're, you're always so how do you you know uh, yeah. that 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 is the holy grail so that sort of media mix optimization is like tip tip of the tongue like something we're talking about all every day so the answer to that by definition changes all the time so it depends mm-hmm. on the the brand we're most focused on it depends on the goals we're trying to hit um, so we're constantly adjusting and optimizing and maintaining an agile approach to the channels, which was, you know, the question you asked, I think, but I, right. I think like what's more important to me than where we're kind of placing our media of the moment, it's, it's the message that we're sending. And are we being consistent around 
a brand platform that will stand the test of time. And that's exactly why I'm so bullish on Defender Service Awards because it's just so meaningful to people and enables us to tell such a rich palette of stories. And it invites rich, you know, fresh stories every year because there's so many organizations out there doing such interesting, diverse work that it just gives us sort of limitless stories to tell. Last year's winner was Appalachian Bear Rescue. Everyone loves an animal story. Wow. Um, you can imagine like just the content and the heartwarming emotional stories you could tell just on that one alone and showcase the capability and utility of the Defender in context of the good it can do, not just in the technical specs of the vehicle. I think that's brilliant. That that makes a lot of sense. And I love when the incentives align across uh, you know, all audiences, right? That it's what's good for you and the brand is also ends up being great for, for those organizations that are doing amazing things that ends up being great for retailers, everyone that, that wants to be a part of it. Um, okay. Well, I will, I know that we're, we're closing in here. Is there anything else um, that you love to share that uh, I did not ask uh, anything related to another project or anything that, that you want to make sure gets out there. Um, I would also say coming from the venture back tech founder community where, you know, we have founders that are in their series a or series B uh, or even early seed or even just beginning, you know, haven't having raised and just beginning to push forward their that product or that service. Is there something that how can we be of help uh, with what you are, you know, what you're up to, what you're doing? Yeah, I think um, to that latter question, we've talked a lot about this holy grail and measurement and trying to be really savvy about optimizing our media mix. So if anyone's playing in that space, um, you know, we're always open to a call um, in terms mm. of you know, anything else that we're we're doing, you know, we talked a lot about technology and analytics, but I think an equally important part of our strategy is kind of going back to the basics of in in person, real world connections with people. It's more challenging to scale, but we are very much focused on experiential marketing as a pillar of what we do. So we've rolled out at a global series of Range Rover houses, which are very exclusive hospitality experiences for our clients and key prospects and partners. We host in really luxury locations like Pebble Beach, Miami Beach, Park City, um, and feature these kind of special one-of-a-kind experiences where people can come in and experience not just the product or the brand that they see on TV, but really the culture and the ethos of the brand. So quite literally, if Range Rover were a house, what would it look like? What would it smell like? What would the furniture be like? What sort of food would you eat? What music would you see? So all of that is comprehended and has been such a great exercise for us to help to kind of crystallize the brand. And likewise for Defender as we do um, Destination Defender. So I think that's also important to never lose sight of that, you know, with all the technology we have to potentially scale those experiences, we really also gain a lot by just hosting people in real world now that we can do that again. How often do you do that? That, uh, that particular... you know, it's a little, it's a little experimental for us. We only just started last year. I'm headed to Pebble beach, uh, in just two weeks, we'll be activating around the Pebble beach concourse event with a, a, a Range Rover house, um, in the area. Um, we 
probably settle in about quarterly for Range Rover houses in the U.S. But um, as I said, those have been picked up globally in um, Saint-Tropez and, and uh, places like you can imagine around the world. So, yeah, Pebble Beach is in, um, uh, is that, is that by Carmel? Carmel Monterey. Okay. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Congrats with everything that you're doing. And again, any other way in which we can be of help. We love building communities. Love to continue this. Awesome. Talk to you soon.